This podcast is a love letter to every small business owner in Africa that dreams of growing big, every African executive that wants to get ahead, and every leader that wants more impact. I'm Tembi Kumalo, your host and the founder of Brand Builder Africa. We'll talk about everything to do with growing your business by building your brand. When I think about all the things that I've been afraid of in my life, it just seems crazy. Like there's so much. And when I think of the things that I was afraid to do, but went ahead and did anyway, when you look back from it, the size of it and the magnitude of it is diminished, right? Because now you've done it and you know it doesn't kill. One of my favorite um, stories about courage is that when my kids were babies, I read somewhere that if you allow children who are most confident are children who are allowed to climb. So, you know, our kids like to climb on furniture and climb trees and whatnot. Because it's not the climbing that develops courage, but the falling. So the more children are allowed to fall, the better they are at managing fear. The more confident they grow and the more courageous they grow because they start to realize that falling doesn't kill. <laughs> I love that. And when I, when I then had my kids and they were little, I made sure that they were always climbing. Like if we were living in a place that didn't have trees, I would take them to the park. I would take them to the botanical gardens and I would make them climb trees. I know this sounds crazy, but I had such that, that thing that I read was such, I had such deep conviction about it and it resonated so strongly with me that I really felt I had to give my kids this opportunity. So In today's episode, I'm just going to share with you some of the most frightening things that I have done, some of the decisions that took a lot of courage um, for me to make in my life with the hope that as we are going through the series on women who dare, you will find courage from these stories and you will look at some of the things that you're facing some of the choices that seem so difficult and the fears that are so paralyzing and think, actually, maybe I could do this and maybe it's survivable, right? So I grew up in a very conservative Christian household. Um, My parents were both in education. My mom was a primary school teacher. My dad was a lecturer. Um, My dad's family had long been leading in the church that we went to. His father was a bishop actually in the church. So it had a very strong conservative Christian religious aspect to it. Um, And I think I just grew up to be different. Like I liked different things. I always wanted to test boundaries and I wanted to try new things. And often there were things that we were not allowed to do. (laughs) unsurprisingly, right? So I think my first really big, scary um, move that I made was leaving home at the age of 22. Now, I had never had a sleepover. I'd never been to boarding school. 
I'd never spent more than a couple of nights away from home. And when I did, it was with my aunt at my aunt's house. Um, so I'd never really gone. Okay, I went camping when it was a school trip, right? Um, but never a social kind of situation. So you can imagine me now, I'm 22. I've just, um, you know, quit my first proper job. And I am now heading to the capital city to make my way in the world. And my plan was I was going to come to Harare for two years and then I was going to move to Joburg for two years and then I was going to go to America. And that was my dream final destination. Um, but that process of planning to leave home, breaking the news to my parents, dealing with disapproval, and still proceeding anyway, knowing that this decision wasn't supported, knowing that, um, you know, there would be no, no opportunity to lean on anyone or to get any kind of support, um, certainly not financial support if you're going to do something that, you know, is not acceptable in the family. Um, but no real emotional support either, right? Because what they really wanted was for me not to make this choice. But I did do it, and I remember my brother driving me to the train station on that day with all my boxes and baggage. Um, and my mother was so distressed, she took to her bed the whole day. Um, and that goodbye was a really, really hard goodbye. And my head was just filled with uh, romantic scenes of, you know, don't look back and you're charting your path into the world and how bright is your future. And I suppose that that kind of motivational self-talk was really important because no one else was going to be saying those things, right? No one else was out there cheering me on or hyping me up. Um, and that, I think making that choice was so big for me. And so it was such a break away and a separation from the life that I had known because the place that I was going into, we didn't really have um, family relationships with people in in the capital city. So, so the friends that I was going to stay with and that were kind of giving me um, direction in, in the big city were people who I had met on my own and I had built relationships with and they kind of encouraged me to make this move. And I think making that decision at that young age helped me to believe that I could make other decisions, right? So another big decision that I made um, and which has really changed my entire life was making the decision to run the Comrades Marathon. I don't know if you know about the Comrades, but it's one of the longest, toughest road races in the world. Um, it's run in South Africa. You either run uphill from Durban to Peter Maritzburg or in alternate years downhill from Peter Maritzburg to Durban. But of course, as you're running, 
it's not a straight line incline in between the there's still hills and valleys and so on um the cutoff time for this marathon is 12 hours and start time is at five o'clock in the morning um and, and it's run in in the month of june so kind of in the middle of winter for this part of the world i grew up as a very non-sporty <laughs> child i did not excel in sport in any way i was barely even at an acceptable level. I would be the last person to be picked for any team throughout my sporting or schooling career. So I grew up really never seeing myself as an athlete for sure and never even really trying um, to grow in that area apart from the exercise that one does as a young woman to manage one's weight, right? So joining aerobics classes, doing a bit of jogging and so on. But in my early 30s, after I'd had my baby, I definitely had gained a lot of weight and I was fed up with that feeling. I remember touching my body and feeling like I had padding, you know, all around, like I was wearing some kind of, uh, astronaut outfit, you know, that was all padded and f wishing that I could just unzip this thing and take it off so that my real body could emerge, right? Um, and that was not a nice feeling. So I started jogging um, and I I would find it very disheartening because I would, I would run as fast as I could, then I'd get tired and breathless and then I would stop and walk home. And then one day, and I can't tell you why, but I just thought, why don't I try something different? And why don't I try, instead of running as fast as I can, why don't I try running as slowly as I can and see what happens? Well, this is what happened. I found that I could run and run and run and run. And I didn't get tired and breathless. And I didn't have to walk home disheartened. And as I began to increase my mileage um, in the distances that I ran, I felt good. Like I would come home, still running, <laughs> not walking home, um, and feeling this incredible high. And it all just came from running really, really slowly. And so I remember one day I'd been out on a run and I'd come back. And I thought, let me jump in my car and measure the distance that I'd run. We didn't have, um, you know, fancy watches in those days that could do this for you. So I jumped in my car, drove the distance and discovered I had run two kilometers. I cannot tell you how incredible that seemed to me. Like two whole kilometers. For somebody who had been you know, at the back of the line and the last to be picked for any team. Um, people had teased me in school. I had very bandy legs. In, in netball, they used to call me butterfingers and um, they used to call me brackets because of my bandy legs. Like, I couldn't believe that that girl had run two kilometers. And that that achievement, as small as it was, gave me the courage to try for a bigger goal. 
So once I knew that I could run 2Ks, I decided, why don't I try running five? And five is like a, you know, a pretty decent sort of, you could join a fun run or something kind of distance. So I, I did, I trained and I signed up for a five kilometer fun run and I did it. I ran, I, I got myself a running partner, another lady who was also trying to lose weight. And we ran this five kilometer race. We came absolutely last, as in even the people that make burgers at the end of a race, you know, were starting to pack up. But it felt so good to know that we had completed this distance. Um, and then the more I ran, the less I worried about the weight loss. I was now just loving running. And it was the most incredible feeling. And I still get that feeling now when I run. Um, that was, gosh, more than 10 years ago when I started running. And so I started running more and more distances, um, signing up for more and more races until eventually I signed up for a, a half marathon and then I signed up for a marathon. And then I, I did several marathons and I thought, gosh, in the space of 18 months, I have gone from someone who was puffing and panting after a short jog to a person who can run several marathons. Like my whole idea of my identity and my self-image changed because it wasn't just about the running. It was also about the discipline of actually getting up at five in the morning and putting on your running gear and facing the loneliness of the road ahead. Um, you know, all those mental things apart from the actual physical running, um, which became a smaller and smaller thing as the, the mental um, conquest grew, right? And once I'd done a couple of marathons, I thought I need a bigger goal. And then I thought, why don't I look for the biggest race that I can access easily from where I am? And that race happened to be the Comrades because South Africa's right next door and it was a very famous race. And I thought, wow, could I, should I, would I <laughs> run 90 kilometers in a 12-hour cutoff time? I'm not going to give you the blow by blow on this episode but um because this is this is actually one of my signature talks um describing that journey but in the end i did run the comrades and what i want to express to you is how important that achievement became in my life to this day by doing that one thing that was so completely left of field for me, that was so unlikely for who I had been, who I had grown up being, I knew, I knew and I knew and I knew that I could do anything. If I put my mind to it, if I took it bit by bit, if I committed and was disciplined. And that confidence 
that I gained from that process is going to last me the rest of my life because no one's ever going to take away that experience. And it was such a, a seminal moment um, in my life that it really changed my perspective on anything. And any time that I ever feel that there's something I can't do, I know that there was once something that there was no chance. I mean, people were taking bets that I wouldn't finish this race. <laughs> That's how unlikely it was um, that I would run the comrades. But once I'd done it, well, now I just know that anything is possible for me. And there is no greater gift that I could have given myself. And I, I wish for everyone that I love and anyone that I care about and all of the people that um, my life might happen to touch, that you could find something that seems hard and you could do that thing and it would teach you that actually not only can you do hard things, but you can do anything, <laughs> right? Anything becomes possible because, as I'm saying, there's no greater gift um, and it lasts forever. It really does. So running the comrades was probably the biggest thing. And, and when I talk about fear, you know, when you have a private a private dream, the day that you put it out into the public, that is very, very hard um, and very, very frightening. Uh, as, as Audre Lorde says, self-revelation is always fraught with danger. But you can't move forward without it, right? You can't keep, you know, if, if I had dreams of running, I needed to register for that first five-kilometer race. And I needed to run in public. <laughs> um, because if I hadn't taken that step, I was never going to be able to run a half marathon or a standard marathon or the comrades, right? Because you've got to take that first step. And that first step can seem so frightening. But if you think about the example of the story that I've just told you, if I decided I was too frightened, too embarrassed, too scared of coming last to register for that first 5K, I would never have known the power, the empowerment and encouragement that I have now received from running an ultra marathon. And I only had to run it once, you know. I'd love to do it again. I've spoken about it over the years. But that one time that I ran it, that the juice, <laughs> the power that I got out of that has lasted me this long and will last me my whole life. Um, because as I said, no one can undo that. So having, having done that, uh, I then of course continued with my life. I had another baby. I got divorced also very, very frightening. Um, and I think that part of being a good storyteller is being able to tell your story without inadvertently telling the stories of other people whose permission you don't have to tell their stories. So where you find me um, 
less forthcoming with my life story, it isn't because I don't want to tell you. It's because I don't want to tell you somebody else's story. I don't want to tell you my children's story unless my children have given me permission, whether tacitly or explicitly, to do that. And at this stage, they haven't. So um, I want to move on to uh, another story that I feel was even more frightening for me than getting divorced. And that was moving from a really good, well-paying job with lots of perks in an industry that I loved to taking on something completely different in a new industry um, for less pay. But let me not get ahead of myself. So probably around 2012, 2013, I was working as an executive in a in a publishing house. I loved, loved, loved my job. I was a brand strategist. I was interacting with people. I had a newspaper column um, that I wrote every Friday that just, it was such a thrill to, to be in that space and, and to be part of so much history making because when you work in a news newsroom or with people who make news, you really, um, are at the coalface, is that what it is? You're right on the front line of history making every day because every day the news tells the story of the time that we're in, right? So I love this. I love the atmosphere. I love the people. And um, after doing that job, I got promoted to another division within the group where I was now in charge of distribution. Now, coming from a marketing background, that's obviously a very different skill set because distribution is a logistics job. My job was to get the paper off the printing press and out into the public by 6 a.m. every day. Now, it wasn't just one paper. We had several newspapers, one daily, some weeklies, and also monthly magazines. And it was a very, very hard job. Um, my job started at two in the morning when the paper would come off the press and the trucks would start, you know, um, collecting copies for distribution. Because remember, you've got to get to all corners of the country by 6 a.m. So by the time I got to the office at 8 a.m., I'd been alert <laughs> for a long time. And I did this job for a couple of years and I found it really hard. It was a cash business, so a lot of responsibility. It was a complex business because you're dealing with um, informal sector in the form of street vendors. You're dealing with um, supermarket chains. You're dealing with bookstores. You're dealing with the the printing press itself. You're dealing with the newsrooms. You've got you've got to answer for um, <laughs> why the paper isn't where it's at. You've got subscribers. You've got to to manage sales. Um, and I, I just, it wasn't my thing, I guess. And it was also just really, really hard. And I struggled. <laughs> I struggled in that job. And I, at, at some point, and of course it was very consuming because of all the responsibility. 
So I was, I was up and working. And then even on weekends, I was, even if I was present, I was mentally worrying about sales and vendors and all of this stuff. And I started to feel very bad for my kids because at, by this time I was a single mom um, and I was, I'd hired an au pair. I was working 30 kilometers away from home. So I would drive, drop my kids off about halfway um, in the morning. Then at lunchtime, the au pair would go and pick them up. She would give them lunch. She would... Um, do homework with them. She would take them to their afternoon activities and then she would take them home. And then our helper would take over, give them supper and a bath. And I would get home around the time they were ready for bed. And I asked myself, who is raising your children? And that question haunted me because I couldn't answer it because I knew that I wasn't the primary person in the short time that I was seeing them every day. And when I was spending a lot of time with them on weekends, mentally, I was still not fully present. And I knew that I had to make a change in my life. Now, this was a really good job. Um, and even though I didn't like the particular role that I was in at the time, I loved the industry and I loved the, the, the group as an employer. So I started to make a list of the kind of job that I wanted, but I wasn't, I, I decided not to think of it as a job. I decided to think of it as work. And I titled this list, The Work We Want. And I wrote, I want to be close to my children's school. I want to not work on weekends. I want to have you know, all these, those kinds of opportunities. So I made this comprehensive list. Um, and then I started looking around and I got a job that ticked every single item on my list, except for remuneration. So the remuneration was coming in at about 40% less than what I was earning at the time. And I was stuck. I mean, I, I didn't know what to do because all of the things that mattered about my time and control over my output and freedom to be with my children as and when I needed to, all those things that were the critical reasons why I wanted to move from this job, the offer, the new offer, was spot on but money i mean <laughs> you can't discount money right money is important um when you're when you're in the job market so i i struggled i really struggled with this decision i could barely sleep um and then i spoke to my my brother um and i said to him do you, and he was like, this sounds like a great job. And I said, but do you realize it's for less money? And he said, it's less money, not no money. And imagine if you succeed. Well, 
that conversation was my turning point. That line, imagine if you succeed, helped me feel safe enough to jump. Because that vision of how I could succeed in this new job drove me um, and was so clear and shining for me that I was prepared to chase it in spite of everything. As it turned out, after I took this job, I got appointed onto a board, um, another board, and then I got appointed onto a, a project that was being run by the, the government. And both of those things um, actually came with, with income. And in the end, it kind of broke even and left me still at the same place that I was uh, financially before um, switching jobs. But the main thing, the main lesson I want you to take out of this is that I could not have known that this would happen afterwards at the time of making that decision. And I hadn't even thought about it. All I thought about was how can we live off this income and is this the right decision? And because it was principle-based, it was based on me saying, if I want to be able to answer the question, who is raising my kids, this is the move that I'm going to have to make. Um, a very difficult move, but that's what it was. And that's the move I made. And only in making that move, in, in the aftermath, was I able to see that there was a net that had been there all along that wasn't visible to me, but was there because, and I, I really believe this, when you make a principal decision, the universe just kinds of, kind of leans in and supports that decision. So if you're talking about moments that require courage, I think for me, that was a huge one in my life and in my career, but I'm so glad I made it. So, so, so glad. And I hope that you too can be encouraged to make tough choices as you go forward. And keep listening to the Women Who Dare series because there's so much more coming. Enjoy. You've been listening to Brand to Build, a podcast brought to you by Brand Builder Africa. We'll be back here next week with more thoughtfully curated content for entrepreneurial leaders who are doing business in Africa. Stay, subscribe, and let us know what you think or what you'd like to hear about next. To learn more, visit our website at www.brandtobuild.co or email ask us at brandtobuild.co.